from the word, Latin word adventus, meaning arrival, that there's this idea, there's this expectation that God is coming in a newness, in a fullness, in ways that may, perhaps we haven't seen before. It's a translation of the Greek word parousia. So Christ, the newborn king, he is coming. Amen? Amen, amen. So what I want to do today to begin this Advent season is I want us to begin uh, by, I want to juxtapose two scripture passages that herald the coming of Messiah. And um, in juxtaposing these two verses, we'll kind of see uh, what the message is that God wants to bring to us today. Now, what's kind of interesting for this first verse is that if you're new to church or maybe you're new to the faith, it might be interesting for you to know that the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, as one who would bring salvation to the world, was actually foretold thousands of years, hundreds of years, and hundreds of years before Jesus actually came. In fact, when you study the Old Testament, one of the things you'll notice is that the entire narrative of the thematic theme of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Christ actually coming. So our first text that we'll look at today is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. These are probably going to be familiar words to a lot of you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. David was a, a king and, uh, uh, back in um, ancient Israel, and it was God also gave him a promise that through his lineage, the Messiah will come. So he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So the first passage we have is this grand vision for the Messiah, the Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. This is the big picture of what God is going to accomplish. And so part of the characteristics of who this person is, we know that he's wisdom and he's comfort. He's the wonderful counselor. He's God, not only God, but he is, he's so mighty. And yet he is also the everlasting father. He's everlasting, and yet he relates to us like a good, good father. And he's peace. He's the prince of peace because his father is the king of peace. And his kingdom knows no end. And there's a lot of people, there are a lot of kings in this world, rulers and authorities that are trying to make bombs and things like that, but it is our God that we know that rules over the earth. And God's zeal, the last part, meaning his excitement, God's attention, and God's passion, will accomplish this. So this particular passage was actually written about 800 years before Jesus was actually born, foretelling of God's great Messiah. So that's the big picture. Now let's look what happens when this particular passage, this big vision, is fulfilled. And that's in Luke chapter 2. So Luke 2 says this, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. David, again, the King David there that we read in the Isaiah verse, because he belonged to the house of David. 
So Matthew, so Luke is putting it together for us, the lineage. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, son, her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. A manger is not a barn, but a manger is in a barn. You have that long trough where animals, you would put the feed in there, and animals would eat from. And so she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So we have in Isaiah 9, these, this juxtaposition of these two verses, we have in Isaiah 9 the big picture of who the Messiah is. Wonderful counselor, this mysterious God, redeemer, eternal king man. And then Luke 2, we have the beginning of the fulfillment of this very big prophecy. In Luke 2, you have Mary and Joseph, this peasant couple, and they live under the oppression of the Roman government, forced to make this journey to, to Bethlehem. And so they find a barn, and when Jesus Christ, the newborn king, the everlasting father, is birthed, they have nothing but this dirty, this, this trough. They didn't have wet wipes, you know, back then, right? So you have prophecy, Isaiah 9, big picture, fulfillment, Luke 2, little baby. You have vision in Isaiah 9, in Isaiah 9, then you have reality in Luke 2. The reason I juxtapose these two verses is because that when God does something big, he starts small. When God does something big, he starts out small. Just kind of like a moment for you to think about. Have you ever been dissatisfied with the pace of your life? Have you ever been dissatisfied with the pace of your life? You know, you have all this vision for your life. You have all these dreams for your life. You have these goals. But sometimes it feels like the timing is all off. As in, you thought you would be there by now. You thought you'd have, you, but, but you're not. Maybe you look at your life, it's certain goals that you had five years ago, ten years ago, but you're not exactly there yet. You thought, man, by now I thought I'd have a degree. By now I thought I'd be married. I thought I'd be a manager by now. I thought I would have started my own company by now. I thought I would be an adult by now. I thought I would have financial security by now. I thought I would have kids by now, second kid, third kid. I thought I'd be spiritually mature by now. I thought I would, would have retired by now. And you have all this zeal. Or maybe at least once a while ago, you had all this zeal for certain goals, for certain things that you wanted to accomplish in your life. But you pray and you're, you're kind of disappointed. And you kind of be asking God, kind of like the little kid in the backseat of the car, like, are we there yet? Or God, how come we're not there yet? Why aren't we there? And, and what I notice about myself and, and a lot of us is that sometimes when we have purposes and plans and things we want to accomplish, a lot of us, we want to start off big and get there fast, right? And one of the reasons, perhaps, the reason you're not there yet is because God loves you. No, 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 if God really loved me, he'd, he'd bring me there. If God really loved me, he'd give me what he wanted. No, one of the reasons you're not there yet is because God loves you. Look, if God, it would not be good for you if God just gave you every single thing that you asked for. God, make me rich. Boom. God, make me famous. Boom. God, make me powerful. Boom. God, give me a wife. Boom. Look, that would really not be good for some of you. Why? Because with greater wealth, greater fame, or greater power, or greater influence comes this burden of responsibility that only greater character 
can handle. But we think, no, I can handle it. God, test me. God, try me. Let me tell you something. You know all these stories that are out these days? It's all these stories about sexual harassment and sexual abuse. You know, none of those stories, they have nothing to do with sex. Do you know that? has nothing to do with sex at all. It has nothing to do with some men have more libido than others or some men have more testosterone than others. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with wealth and positional power. And if you don't have the character and self-discipline to humbly hold this wealth or positional power, you will give in to the temptation to use your power to manipulate control and abuse others. More importantly, you're going to use your own resources for your personal kingdom. So why would God want to give you even more? So if that's the case, if there's some reason why I'm not as far ahead as I like to be, if I'm not like into the really big things that I want to do in my life, is it because God's always thwarting me? Is it because God's always against me? He's just saying you're not good enough. You don't have enough character. Like you can't handle it. Is God always holding me back? course not, of course not. But God is actually saying, I want you to try, and I'm giving you opportunities to try right now, being faithful with the small things in your life, because when God does something big, he starts, he starts small. He starts small. I, I was kind of reminded of this a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my son, Mason, he's following in his father's footsteps, and he's learning how to play trumpet, right? He's learning how to play trumpet. And, uh, yeah, I was really cool back then, playing trumpet. And so, you know, we haven't done the Asian thing with, with Mason to make him, to force him to play an instrument. We've done that with Mia. You know, she's learning how to play piano. And so, Mia, you can thank me later, right, when you're older. You can thank me later for, for forcing you to play piano all the way up to your senior year in high school. But what's interesting with Mason was that he wanted to start playing trumpet kind of on his own initiative, all right? So he had this own initiative, and, and so we we're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's get, a, let's get him a trumpet. And so school starts, and a couple weeks into the band starts getting together, and he has maybe one or two lessons, and he's at home, and he's practicing. And when he practices, you know, doesn't sound like, you know, it sounds when you begin to practice the trumpet. It's pretty, it's tough. I feel bad for our neighbors. And, um, and so when he starts playing, pretty soon, as in that day, he gets discouraged, right? Because it sounds so bad. He's like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. It sounds really bad. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And so that day he gets discouraged. This is so hard. I don't want to do this. And so then I told him something that was really good as a parent. So as a parent, you could take this away. Maybe this is the only thing you take away, right? So I said, Mason, my one piece of godly wisdom that came out. I said, Mason, look, you've got to be willing to fail in order to be good. I said that to my fifth grader. You've got to be willing to fail in order to be good. And he said, Dad, that makes so much sense. Your eternal wisdom is amazing. I understand <laughs> exactly what that means. You know, he didn't get it, right? So I kind of had to kind of force it down a little bit. Say, look, look, look. You've got to be willing to be to, for it to sound really bad for a while in order for you just to be mediocre. And, and then after you're mediocre for a while and you keep practicing a little bit, you're going to be decent. And then after you're decent for a while, you're going to be actually pretty good. And hopefully, hopefully one day, hopefully one day, you're going to be amazing. And that really helped him. And so right now he's mediocre, all right? And so what I did is when, when he was bad, when he was failing, I was celebrating Mason. That, that was awesome, right? Not to just like boost his ego. It's like, I just want you to hurry up and go from being really bad to just being mediocre, all right? My, ear, your ear, my ears, all right, can't stand it. 
but I want to celebrate his failure, the small things in his failure, so that he can be mediocre. And when he's mediocre in that small thing, I want to celebrate that so that he can be good, and so forth and so forth, so that he can be, hopefully, one day amazing. It's the small, unnoticeable, almost infantile steps that make the big difference. Because when God does something big, he always starts something with something small. See, I love, I love, I love how this birth story plays out. We have the big vision of the Messiah. He's this wonderful counselor, an awesome God, and the government rests on his shoulders, and his, his kingdom lasts forever. But did you notice how the fulfillment, how it starts out, how God starts out so small? In Luke 2, Luke writes, he says, the days were like this. He says, these were the days not of God. He says, these were the days of Caesar Augustus. That's the big guy. And so it felt like Joseph, and it felt like Mary. They were under the whims of the Roman government. In those days, it was the government that was the big deal. It was Caesar who appeared to be king, but it was Christ, the small, the baby, the newborn king, who was actually king, and God was entrusting Joseph and Mary with the baby. And then even on the day that Mary laid baby Jesus in Bethlehem's manger, not a good option, not a good day, not a good circumstances. You know, this was not their day. This was not their time. This was not their season. Even in that moment where he was born in Bethlehem, did you know that even that, even though Caesar was the ruler of that time, that even his birthplace was prophesied in, Ma- in Micah chapter 2. He says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem's sneaky barn, it was not the days that they wanted. But even in that, even that small thing of where Christ was born, that was even ordained under the days of Caesar. And then we know that some time later, in the days of King Herod, that Joseph and Mary had to flee because Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, it says this, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and mother during the night and left for Egypt. Verse 15, where he stayed there until the death of Herod. And here it is, here it is. In that moment where it seems like Herod rules the world, in that moment where it's the Roman Empire, it, those are the ones who filled the days, who controlled the day, the big thing. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So Matthew is referring to another Old Testament scripture written another eight, about 800 years before the birth of Jesus and saying even this moment where the day seems like they're controlled by something else and someone bigger, even in this moment that seems so bad, that it was prophesied through the prophet Hosea. See, what happens to us is that when it seems like the big picture of, of God in our life is, is, is not coming to fruition, it feels like in the present day that we live, it, it just feels like it's not your day, right? I mean, we have a lot of days where it just feels like today's just not my day, where you feel like your vision, your big hopes, your big dreams are just childish fantasies and wishful thinking. Now, those are for, you know, people who have time to think about that way. But no matter what day it is, we need to remember that the day has never supposed to been about us anyway. That this is the day that the Lord has made. Amen? 
for him, for himself, for his purposes. And so when God does something big, he always starts small. So no matter who seems to rule the day, that I can go out with confidence that there's a small thing that God is doing today that I can celebrate in a really big way. So there's two questions I want to give you. First, number one is what kind of day right now is it for you? What kind of day, what kind of season do you feel you're in right now? And number two, what is the small thing that God is doing today? What is the small thing that you can point out that you can recognize? What is the small thing that God is doing in your life today that is cause for big celebration? For some of you, it might be these days feel like it's tough because these are the days of Trump. I mean, we just had Thanksgiving, and so you guys had Thanksgiving dinner, and maybe you had Thanksgiving dinner with, with relatives and people that have a different political position from you, all right? And so I, I, I was in that situation, and I was with some people that they were just like, these are the days of Trump, and, and it's just not good for them, all right? What are the days are for you? Maybe you're in the days of the unsympathetic boss. You're in the days of addiction. You're in the days that are pretty boring. You're in the days of parents you can't stand, the days of depression. You're in the days, perhaps, of a loved one passing. Um, some of you know Rebecca, Evan, Rebecca and Evan, and she asked, actually asked me to share this, but her father passed away uh, last week, just suddenly. He's 57, year old, 57 years old in his sleep. What are the days for her? And so if you continue to remember her and pray for her, what days are you in? Are you in the days of a strained marriage, in the days of after a breakup, in the days of debt, in the days of my child won't listen to me? Are you in the days of declining health? In whatever days you are under, the Christmas story tells us that there's something still small. There's something good that you recognize that God is doing to fulfill a greater plan in your life. That's worth celebrating. I think for me, one of the things that's, that I enjoy doing, that Angel and I both enjoy doing as, as a pastor, is being what's called a, a shepherd, like a shepherd leader. And I think a pastor or a shepherd leader can mean different things to different people. But I think for, for Angel and I, what we appreciate the most and what we enjoy the most is being able to sit down with people, have a conversation and talk about their lives, and point out specifically what is the small thing in their life, that God is doing something big through that. And some people call that vision, or not really. I just call that encouragement, because we all need that, because there's so many days where it feels like God isn't working. So many times, in so many circumstances, it feels like God is not moving. Sometimes it things like the dreams or things that I have in my past, they will never come to fruition, because I can't see where God is moving. What a gift it is to have people in your life that can point out the ways that God is moving. That's just called encouragement. And you don't have to be a visionary to be encouragement. God calls all of us to be encouragers of each other. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. As in he's expecting and hoping that that's what we're doing anyway to one another in the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13, I love this one. He says, encourage one another, how often? Weekly? Monthly? No, daily, because we need that encouragement every single day, as long as it's called today, because today it always feels like someone else is ruling the day, and we need to be reminded that God is the one who's ruling the day, 
and he's doing it through some of the small things. And he says, do it as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because if we're not encouraged and because we don't see the day as being God's day or if we don't see the day being somewhat better for us, we're going to get hardened. We're going to get cynical and we'll be, we'll be, um, uh, uh, we won't have the idea that God is the one who rules the day. Now, some of you are really good at that. Some of you are really good at the gift of encouragement. Uh, and in fact, some of you, it's called like a spiritual gift, right? But you don't have to have that. You can even encourage others in their failures because we are all progressing in different paces in our walk with Jesus. So what is the small thing God is doing today in your life that's cause for a big celebration? Can you see it in your life? If you look at your life, can you see what you can be thankful for? For some of you, maybe it's, it's just breath. It's just that I'm alive today. For some of you, it might be your kids. For some of you, it's, it's the platform you have. For some of you, it might be school. What is that one small thing that you can be thankful for that's cause for a big celebration because God is faithful today? Can you see it in yourself? Can you see it in others? I, I love the narrative, too, where a few days after Jesus' birth, he was dedicated at the temple. And there were these two, there's this elderly couple, uh, sorry, not couple, but these two elderly priests named Simeon and Anna. And they had been serving in the temple their whole, their entire lives. And, and Luke says that when, when, uh, when they saw, when the elderly priests, Simeon and Anna, when they saw Mary and they saw Joseph and they held baby Jesus, he just knew, he knew that he was holding the wonderful counselor. He knew that the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 was in his arms. He knew that he was holding the mighty God, the everlasting Father. It says this, Lord, as you have promised, Simeon says this, Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's saying, I can go. I can be with Jesus now. I can die now because I've seen the fulfillment of this promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. You know, when I think about that, I just think, how did he know? I mean, how did he know he was holding the Messiah? How did he see the vision for this child? Holy Spirit, probably. But, but he also knew, I think, because of experience, being a faithful prophet, walking with God. He just held this baby, he just touched this child, and he knew he had a vision for the child that this child was to become king. You know, I had this experience um, a couple of, couple of weeks ago when I was in China. And uh, Pastor Paul and I were there. And uh, we wanted to, when we were in China, it's just something they would do. But we, besides doing the work of Jesus, of course, we, we go and we get a massage. Okay? Get a Chinese massage. Now, I have a, a particular picture of what Chinese massage, I like the reflexology part. But Pastor Chan, he's, he's older, right? So he likes a particular kind of massage that's more of like for older people. It's called a chiropractic massage, okay? So he had made plans for us to get, get a massage, but I didn't really understand what kind of massage we were going to. So when we get there, what's interesting, it's in this place that it's in the middle of, of, uh, of the city. It's, it's modern. But when you step into this particular massage place, it feels like you're going about 50 or 100 years back in China, right? It was not clean. Right? This was not that, you know, they don't serve you like drinks or fruit or stuff like that. Um, but when we went in there, there's a lot of old people, older, older people in there. And the person who came out, the doctor, he was elderly as well. 
But something kind of, as, as he, was, he was talking, so he could only speak Chinese, something kind of told me that sometimes, 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 sometimes it's these really old school guys that really know what they're doing, right? And so he was talking, Paul and Pastor Chan was talking with the, uh, the chiropractor, the, the, the doctor, and um, just going back and forth a little bit about his neck problems, things like that. And I'm the youngest guy in there by like 20 or 30 years, okay? And so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And so the doctor looks at me and in Cantonese through Paul just says, uh, do you have any problems? And I'm just like, I got no problems, man. I mean, come on, I'm young. You know, I'm young, I'm good. And he says, sit down. So I go and sit down. And then this is literally what he does to me. He just comes behind me. He just does this on my shoulders three times. That's it. And he looks at Paul. He's like, he's got a problem on his left his left uh, uh, shoulder he's had for years, it goes down his back, and it stems from a problem in his, his vertebrae, his neck vertebrae up here. It's a degenerative issue that's gonna cause him a lot of problems. We need to fix it today, you know, uh, or else he's got a lot of problems in the future. And then I was just, I was just, at first I was like, no, it's one of these, you know, weird Chinese things, right? But then I remembered, I remembered ever since I was in college, I've had this problem on my shoulder, my neck here, my, my shoulder here that goes, extends down to my shoulder blade that if I sit anywhere still just for like 15 minutes, I start doing this and I start having to massage it. And I've had that since college and it's just, it's just bothered me. And then so th they started working on me and doing this like massage and it's just deep. I could feel this huge knot in it. It was painful. It was painful. And uh, he started working on it and then it, was, it got so painful that I started feeling, I don't know, it, it was weird. I couldn't hear anymore. I lost my hearing for a second. The room felt like it was spinning. And the doctor, I just told the doctor, I said, I don't know, something's weird. I feel like the room's spinning. Um, but again, he doesn't speak English, right? He's, he's, <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know is he's, he has his thumb on my, on my lip. And he's going like this. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the weirdest massage move. I've never seen this one before. I know we're in China, but still, this is kind of strange, you know. And, and I realized I wasn't sitting up anymore. I was on the floor. I passed out. I had passed out. And then it's kind of weird because I'm telling, oh, oh, I passed out. And he's talking to me in Chinese, and it's just this weird moment, you know, he's down there like this, you know, on me. It's very, very strange. And I just realized, oh my gosh, I, I passed out. And then he got his translator, Chinese to English, you know, translate, translator, yeah. he said this, he said, the reason you passed out is because you didn't eat enough breakfast. Like, how does he know what's in my stomach too? What's up with that? He knows everything about me. And that was true because I was jet lagged. I got up at 2 a.m. in the morning. I had been up since 2 a.m. in the morning. I went to work out at the gym at 6 for about an hour and a half, like a really intense workout. And then all I, because I just wanted to, I didn't want to eat too much. All I ate was two hard-boiled eggs and some, con like, a tiny bowl of kanji. That's it. Like, he knew it was in my stomach. It was so weird, so strange. Anyway, all this to say, all this to say, I want you to know that some of the greatest visionaries, people who can see into your life. Some of the greatest encouragers in our community are our elderly. People that are much older than you. People sometimes that you tend to overlook and say, no, they don't got anything for me. No, they've got something for you. And I want to encourage also our elderly too that, and elderly is a relative term, all right? But I, sometimes I hear this, people say this, I'm older now, and so I think I need to get out of the way to make room for 
the younger generation, whatever it might be. Look, getting out of the way does not mean getting out of the game. Getting out of the way might just mean repositioning yourself so instead of leading in front, you come to the side. And at SCAC in this community, I don't want any of our elderly to get out of the way. I just want our elderly, you're welcome because we need your vision. We need your kind of encouragement to help us along, to help make the way for the next generation that's coming up. So what is the small thing that God is doing today that's cause for a big celebration? For some of you that are quote-unquote elderly, you might even, that might have even been the thought. That might have been the reason that God has you here today because there's someone that God wants you to invest in. There's someone that God wants you to disciple. There's someone that God wants you to mentor. There's someone that God wants you to love on. And in the spirit of a Christmas, in the spirit of giving, one practical thing, not just for the elderly, but for all of us to do, all right, is I don't want you to just look at your own life and celebrate the small thing that God is doing in your own life. I want you to find that thing out. But I want you would you go this season, this beginning of this Advent season, and would you be a shepherd? Would you be willing to be a shepherd for someone else? Would you make contact with someone that maybe you haven't made contact with in a while? Or maybe a friend, you have a close friend here in the church, and there's nothing wrong, it's just you just haven't connected with them in a while. A friend, someone who you know is in a particular season of days where it's definitely not their day. And you know that it's harder for them to feel like it's God's day either. Maybe it's difficult for them because it's days of, like I said, deteriorating health. They lost a loved one. They don't have any family around. They're in between jobs. They're working through painful memories. They're going through a divorce. Would you go? Would you be that Simeon to them? Would you be that Anna to them to show them the small thing that's going on in their life that's cause for great, great, great celebration? Would you go in the spirit of Christ, the newborn king, and sit with them and listen to them and point out the big thing God is doing and the small thing that you see? Because we need people to speak that vision into our lives. We need people to be able to point out the things in our lives. We need people to give us opportunity to see the small things that God is doing in our life that turn out to be really huge. You know, just a, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, maybe a, a week or two after I got from sabbatical, um, I was talking with someone, Anthe, Anthe Poon. Now, some of you guys know her. She's a college student, came through SCNC here. And it was just, I was just catching up with her a little bit, and she's at Western Washington. She's telling me about uh, her major, and her major is uh, education. She wants to be a teacher. And she's telling me about this very specific major that she wanted to get into, which was special ed education. And as you guys know, like with our outreach and things like that, I love teachers. And uh, I was just so jazzed and so happy for her. And she was telling me about this specific special program she was trying to get into for special ed. And if I can't remember correctly, but she like missed a deadline or something like that. And she was trying to talk to the, the dean and see if she could go ahead and get in and do the application. And she was able to do all that. And she, she was able to get in, praise God for that. But just one little tiny little thing, just, just one little tiny thing as we were having a conversation on the phone. She says, Riz, she says, Roy, you know, one of the reasons why I actually chose the major I chose is because of my time tutoring the after school program. That's it. We just went on there. I just thought that was just so cool. It was just that one little thing, just that one little contact, just that one little seed got planted on that day. Didn't know that was going to happen and birth something later with her life purpose. 
Christ, the newborn king, he's a living illustration that when God does something big, he starts out small. When God said the nation of Israel would be as numerous as the stars and the grains of the sand, he started with one person, Abraham. When God established the nation of Israel, began with an enslaved people who had no nation. When God established the borders of Israel, he chose a teenager, David, the youngest of his brothers. And even when God anointed David as king, it was 15 years later until he actually took the throne. And when God brought salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sins, justice, and righteousness, he began with himself, not as mighty, mighty God, not as everlasting king and rule of authority, but came down to us as a vulnerable, vulnerable babe. Because when God does something big, he starts out small. God is doing something big in your life. God is doing something big in my life. But he's going to start out small. Be faithful to the small and celebrate. You have cause to celebrate the small things that God is doing in your life today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together as we celebrate the beginning and mark the beginning of, of Advent, the season of your arrival. It's such a season for us of anticipation. And we need this word today. We need this word of encouragement today because as in the days of old, that when you were starting something big, it seemed like it was so small, just a birth of a child. Children are birthed every single day. It's not that big of a deal. And in those days, it seemed like those were the days of Caesar Augustus, the days of the big bad Roman Empire. And for a lot of us, sometimes we can lose our way because it feels like, God, you're not moving. It feels like these are not the days of Christ. This is not the day that the Lord has made. But it feels like that these are the days of political strife. Uh, these are the days of depression. These are the days of people being lost, loved ones being lost. These are the days of my career is stalled. These are the days of my business is not doing well. These are the days that I can't find a special someone to help in the fulfillment of my life. These are the days where I'm just, I thought I'd have more kids. These are the days where I just thought I'd be further and further ahead than I really am. It just seems like these days are not the days of God. And we need to remember and be encouraged that this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. And when he does something big in our lives, and he's doing that in every single one of our lives, he starts out small. And so help us, Father, to have your vision, the vision of the Holy Spirit, to see the small and to be faithful with the small things that lead to the big things that you are doing. And just as we started today with worship, with just the very breath that we have to breathe in life, Thank you, God, for the day. Thank you for this moment. And thank you for the hope and love that you breathe in us to continue moving on, knowing that your plans and purposes are greater than ours and that it's your plans and purposes in our life, God, that we want to see prevail. God, help us, Lord to see your love and your faithfulness today and help us to celebrate those things. And I pray too, Father, for many of us as we are also thinking about someone else that we can encourage, someone else that we can bless, someone else that we can be a Simeon or an Anna to, 
God, in this spirit of Christmas, in this spirit of arrival and coming, Lord, help us to arrive for others. Help us to be there for others. Whether it's the Dearborn Angel Tree is something as small as that, or whether it's reconnecting with a family member or reconnecting with a friend, and just being a shepherd and being an encouragement to them to also be the one that can, through your Holy Spirit, point out the small things that are worth big celebrations. Because today, Father, no matter what is going on, no matter what circumstances surround us, today is the day that you have made. And you're doing big things in small ways. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen.